Hello and welcome to the Michael Mama Show, Ancient Secrets Revealed. I'm your host, Michael Mamas, and we are coming to you from Mount Soma, home of the Sri Sameshra Temple in the mountains of Western North Carolina. And uh, Scotty, you're in New Mexico, huh? Yeah, I'm here at the Balloon Fiesta. You're kind of soft. You're not very loud. I don't know. I said I'm at the Balloon Fiesta. It's an international balloon fiesta. Can you hear me? Not. It's it just real. It's clear, but it's real faint. Huh. You have the what? Uh, it's a balloon fiesta. Oh, really? oh wow. Yeah. Oh, that's yep. fun. Did you ride six, up in a balloon? There's 600 air balloons getting ready to go up right now. Are you going to go on one? No. Oh, because you're going back to LA? Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, we have like uh, just some, you know, it's really cloudy and we got a little bit of rain, you know even all the way up here in the mountains from uh, the hurricane. Mm-hmm. Um, at any rate, uh, today is, uh, well, we're in, the, we're in the midst of the nine days of Mother Divine. And it's, uh, uh, it's a celebration, you know, that happens every year. And uh, the, the Vedic celebrations are, you know, they're all based on, you know, mechanics of existence, really. And they're just... They're not arbitrary at all. They're all uh, mappings onto the, you know, calendar 365 days. They're mappings uh, based on the inner mechanics of uh, the underlying basis of creation, the unified field, you know. Uh, And at any rate, one of the, uh, so there's a ceremony every day. And one of the ceremonies is the, Probably one of my for sure favorite ceremonies of the year. It's a Durga Havan. And uh, the Durga Havan is always really powerful. Uh, So we have, you know, a lot of people come every year. And uh, um, I think there's a lot to be learned about it. Like Durga is... uh, a very powerful uh, embodiment of, you know, personified correlate, personified embodiment of a very profound mechanic of creation. And uh, she's understood to be, you know, the combination of Kali, uh, uh, Lakshmi, and Saraswati. Kali is, um, it's really all this is very beautiful, the mechanics of creation. Kali is the... uh, just pure power, and she's uh, uh, also time, ruler of time. And if you think about that, it's it's. I think it's really beautiful that power. I mean, just think of the power of time. You know, it's formidable. It's ongoing. It's irreversible. Um, and so we have Kali, and then Lakshmi. Lakshmi is the goddess of. Uh, the value of prosperity, abundance. A lot of times they think it's just financial wealth, but it's wealth in all, all regards. Uh, Lakshmi is related kind of in nature. She would be correlated to just a beautiful uh, uh, summer day, you know, and everything's green and lush and like that. 
And then Saraswati, uh, the goddess of intellect, wisdom, music, like that. And when you think about it, you know, power, wealth, and intellect. I mean, in a sense, if you have all that working for you, you know, life is good. But there's a really interesting thing that came up uh, during the Havan. You know, we, of course, do the thing, and then the, the Havan in between... Um, uh, different st stages of the Havan, you know, oftentimes Panaji will talk and we talk back and forth. And the idea of uh, Lakshmi and Alakshmi or uh, 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 that that idea came up. And and see, the, the, the idea is that The way existence came into being is there's this one value of divinity and another value that you could say is um, that which uh, uh, it's, it's called the Asura value. It's in it, you know, simplistically speaking, and, you know, we could say it's like the negative value, the Rakshasa value. But it's, it's even kind of like the idea of that there can be identity with the notion of other when really everything is one. Mm -hmm. and, and so within the ocean of existence, there's like a tug of war between divinity, the gods, the devas, and the Ashura value. So you got the Ashuras over here and the divinities over there, the gods are over there and they're doing a tug of war. And as that happens, then the ocean of the transcendent, the ocean of being, that source of all existence, gets churned up. And out of that churning, of course, comes uh, the nectar of immortality, uh, that ambrosia, uh, uh, the source of life and health and plenty, uh, the Lakshmi value, you know, prosperity, abundance. But see, now it gets interesting because in that churning process, before the, that Lakshmi value emerges into, into existence, and I'm talking relative existence here, things purify. There's a purification process to that churning, kind of like in a washing machine, you know? And so what comes out uh, prior to Lakshmi is called uh, a Lakshmi. It's... Uh, the, it's 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 the opposite value, uh, sometimes referred to as jeshta, jeshta devi, and so that's the older sister of Lakshmi, because jeshta devi you know comes out of the process first; she's born first. Uh, uh, but jeshta devi is it's really interesting because it's like the embodiment of the opposite value of prosperity and, and, and good. And so, but nevertheless, it's, there's a mapping there. There's a polar opposite value. So, so, uh, uh, just becomes like, uh, the goddess that corresponds to Lakshmi, but for, for, um, um, unhealthy, actions, unhealthy people, 
maybe people who make their money through negative means or uh, uh, eat bad food or, uh, you know, drink, gamble, I don't know, whatever, all those sort of, sort of values. And so you've got Lakshmi, you've got, and you've got a Lakshmi. And, and then what happens then is, so if a person is living that kind of a unhealthy life, that value that, see, because everything has a personified correlate. So that value of uh, uh, improper abundance, lack of abundance, abundance with impurity in it, dosha, they call it, in it, uh, it becomes the value that permeates the home of, of people like that. And it affects their lives in a negative way. Uh, uh, is that making sense, Scotty? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, um, so the, so the idea that, and you know, of course, Lakshmi is beautiful and abundant and all that, but the manifestations, the uh, images, we could say the, uh, to describe the looks of uh, just a, uh, Davy is, um, you know, she's unattractive, uh, uh, tattered clothes, just, you know, and kind of the whole negative image you might take of, of that sort of a, a, a thing, you know? And so we, by living our life uh, in accord with nature, in accord with natural law, in accord with the positive values of natural law, then we purify out that influence of uh, gesture and start to live a life in abundance and prosperity and, you know, all good things like that. Now, what's, I think, incredibly fascinating is uh, the temples in India. And uh, uh, it's looking like, Scotty, you know, we might be going to uh, India pretty soon, huh? And, and, yeah. and we'll see because we're, we're hoping to continue the development of uh, Mount Soma, which is an enlightened city. It's in the, it's in the uh, uh, cognitions of the Rishis. Uh, and uh, really our project here at Mount Soma is to build this uh, community that takes on that value of, you know, you could say Lakshmi and, and, and all good things uh, and radiates that into the environment. And so it's, it's really interesting that, uh, and so we're trying, we're going to India, hopefully, uh, I mean, hopefully we won't have to go, we can do it all by phone, but if not, then we'll go to India and uh, try to get it put together, get things moving forward. But uh, uh, it's interesting that the temples that we would be building and the things we would be building, that's huge. I mean, it's a gigantic project, but uh, are, are built out of granite. And granite is a very interesting material. It's um, granite is like forty percent or more um, quartz crystal, and we know that you know quartz and crystal is you know they're used in uh, cell phones, they're, they're, and even back when radio oscillators, you know, that were all made out of crystal. So crystals, you know, have a lot of uh, uh, capacity. They can even store knowledge. 
Uh, there are people that are ex experimenting with using crystals to to uh, store knowledge of huge libraries all in one teeny tiny little piece of crystal, you know. And so the, the crystal then in the granite that's in these uh, temples, and it's all designed, it's all, it's an art, it's a science, you know. And so it, it's designed in a way where then the entire structure resonates and the crystals then through the chanting and the operation, even the very structure of the uh, enlightened city is such that it resonates with the inner purity and divinity and health that, and it radiates that out to the environment. So the whole thing, the whole structure becomes like this big, huge crystalline castle, you know, and, and uh, granite is a, a major uh, medium of, of that. And, and, you know, there's so much in, in the world today, you know, the monoliths and, uh, there's some incredible monolithic, even in England, there's one that goes, I forget, it's something like 300 tons or something, I don't know, but it goes 25 feet in the air, 25 feet in the earth, it's been there for, they don't know how long, thousands of years. And, uh, and in France, there's all those monoliths all lined up, and they have no idea how they did it. And, and uh, the temples all over the, uh, the world, and, and they're all designed to, uh, resonate in some way or other with these, you know, cosmic energies is the idea. But I, I know that the, uh, the uh, Vedic architect, Sapati, they're called, who, who has given us the drawings from the cognitions of the ancient rishis, he said, there's nothing like this anywhere in the world. And uh, I was like, when he said that, I was kind of taken back because in, in India, for example, there are just some incredible temples, you know, and if you, and you can feel the Shakti, you can feel the energy from them. And I said, well, what about this? Or what about that? He said, no, no. Uh, I wonder if um, uh, that temple complex in Thailand, what's it called, Scotty? I forget. Um, you know, now it's all overgrown and everything, but I wonder if there was a time. Angkor Wat. Angkor Wat, yeah. yeah. I wonder if that was uh, at one time uh, an enlightened city. I don't know. But the, the problem with Angkor Wat, though, is if you look at the history of it, you know, the knowledge got abandoned because, see, it's one thing to build it. It's quite another to operate it. And, and uh, it's a huge challenge. Both are a huge challenge. Uh, Angkor Wat, it ended up that they started doing different ceremonies other than what the uh, structure was built for. And uh, then it stops resonating. And then there's a thing, the, it's the heart of the thing. It's called the Brahmastan, the heart of the Purusha uh, value, uh, the heart of the being, if you will, if you want to put it that way. It's located right in the center. It's called the Brahmastan. And one of the kings, when he died, wanted to be buried in the Brahmastan, which is, you know, just like, whoa, you know. So the knowledge easily gets lost. So it's one thing to build it, which is extremely challenging, and it's another thing to maintain it. And and uh, the building process uh, meets with tremendous resistance because there's a principle in nature. You can't have a positive end of a magnet without having a negative end. Positive creates negative. And so the, the, the 
challenges are formidable, even with building the Shiva temple. Uh, and it's well known in India that, you know, uh, the obstacles to building the Shiva temple are huge. They say great kings with huge armies try to build Shiva temples and fail, you know. And so we're fortunate that, I mean, it was definitely, the challenges were unbelievable in building the Shiva temple. And now with the enlightened city, the challenges are, you know, a thousand times greater. So steady hand on the rudder, you know, just keep uh, plugging away, you know. And uh, these principles of nature, this the structure of existence, that self-interacting dynamic of pure isness, pure consciousness, pure oneness. You know, they talk about the Big Bang and the idea is that the Big Bang has happened at some point in, you know, billion, <clears throat> billions of years ago, and that was the source of the universe. Uh, it's interesting because a lot of those formulas for the Big Bang are, are correct, but they're, they're misunderstood. They're not used properly. And, and the, the reality is, according to the ancient rishis and stuff, the Big Bang occurs at every point in creation eternally. In other words, all of this is, that's like they say, I am that, thou art that, all of this is nothing but that. Every point is that. But uh, it emerges out of relative, of the absolute and goes into the relative, and that force doing that is called prana, breath. So prana exists on different levels. On the surface, it's just our breathing. But on the depth, it's that at every point in creation, it breathes the, the quality, the, the value, the uh, uh, shruti value of the uh, absolute. It breathes it out into relativity. And when it does that, you see, there's a, another uh, component at work. You've got prana, and then you've also got karma. Karma is just the laws of action in relativity. And so at every point in creation, when the Big Bang happens, you know, and the breath of the absolute emerges into relativity, you've got the, the actions of karma that interact with it. And so the nature of relativity, the nature of this, that's all, you know, mind born, really, you could say, uh, karma and prana makes mind, you see, mind. And uh, uh, based on the nature of the karma at each particular point in creation, that's where we get existence. Does that make sense, Scott? Yeah. It's pretty cool, isn't it? I yeah, think it's pretty, super cool. I think it's really, really beautiful the, uh, the way it all works. And uh, uh, all the different mechanics of creation, in, including you see this um, churning of the ocean, the uh, uh, Devas and the Asuras, that's going on at every point in creation. Everything in the Veda is going on at every point in creation. And so we've got this uh, uh, Lakshmi value and this Alakshmi value. This uh, Alakshmi is Jishta value, Jishta Devi. And, and so uh, the art of life then is the alignment of the Lakshmi value and sort of sidestepping the uh, gesture value. Now, they're there. They're both there. They're inherent in existence. Uh, and it's like the earth needs two poles to spin around. 
if you got a positive value, you got a negative value. That's just like in magnets. There's no such thing as a monopole, you know. And but but the thing is, we have what's called yugas. We have ages, times, and there are times uh, like Sat Yuga when the world is living the the luxury value, and the the negative values, the rakshasa values, however you want to say it, those do exist, but they're just not here. They're off in some other planet or some other, you know, depending on the yuga. Uh, they dwell different places. Now in Kali Yuga, what, where we're at right now, but what we're transitioning out of, um, uh, that negative value exists in the hearts and minds of the people. And I guess we don't have to look too far to see that, you know? But, but it becomes funny because it, it doesn't, it's not right, really right to say, okay, yeah, it dwells in people, other people. It dwells in all of us. It's the nature of existence at this time. And, and so how do you purify it out? Because those thoughts, you experience them as your thoughts. Those feelings, you experience them as your feelings. And your thoughts and your feelings are like your truth, you know? And, and uh, the mind follows the feelings and justifies it. You can justify anything with the intellect, and we do. So it becomes a real challenge when we're angry, when we're negative, when we're feeling this way or judgmental or that way. It, it's not easy to take a step back and say, oh, wait a minute, that's the gesture value, the gesture of Devi working through me, the, the Rakshasas working through me, you know? Uh, but if we have a value system, we can use that value system. We have an understanding of life. Then uh, we can evaluate and it's not easy to do. Usually we don't do it. While it's going on, we are overtaking, overtaken by whatever those thoughts and emotions are. But uh, at some point, at some point, when we can come back into balance and we can look back, then the, then the matter of self-honesty comes into play. You know, were those qualities really um, the aspects of nature I want to align with? And, and that even goes to uh, uh, your friends, your associates, the community, the company that you keep. Uh, are they part of the maintenance of a particular negative perspective on things? Or are they helping you and are you helping them as your community uh, living life in a way that, that affects the purity? Because collusion you know, goes a long way. And you, what's the expression? You are what you eat, you know, the, uh, you become the company that you keep, you know? And, uh, so then there's, there's that whole thing in the, um, Upangas, it's an aspect of the Vedic literature. And in the Upangas, there's things called the uh, Shastras. The Shastras, they're kind of like signposts or guidelines or they come it's kind of like a, the Upangas are kind of, you could say it's sort of a instruction book or a description of the course of life. And as it evolves from the perspective of wisdom and understanding and insight, the luxury value, the Sarasvati value like that. And, and so if, if we understand those things and if we can be really honest with ourselves, we can employ those things to, uh, and those understandings, to help us lean in the direction of the Lakshmi value, which makes our lives better. You see? Um, that all makes sense, huh, Scotty? 
For sure. Yeah. Um, so we do, we do well, I think, to ask ourselves, uh, what mentality is it that we've joined? What is our relationship with life? What is our relationship with other people? What is our relationship even with people that not only people that are living the luxury value, but also people that are living the luxury value? And how do we hold that in a manner that is constructive for our own evolution, you know? And that's, you know, we can use all the help we can get, you know? And that's why this, it goes back to building this enlightened city, this structure which resonates with and radiates out that luxury value. And, it, and, and they say one enlightened city is enough to transform an entire continent, an entri- entire nation. And that comes right from the cognitions of the Veda. And, and it's really important to understand. Step one, understand what cognitions are. You know, cognitions are that inner knowledge of the mechanics of creation at the deepest level of creation. And as it wells up through and is cognized, it comes through the physiologies of the purity of the rishis. They're called, it's a rishi value. The upholders of right action, the upholders of dharma. And it comes out their vocal cords, you know, and and uh, that's where we get the Vedic literature. Uh, and it's one thing to hear that and say, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. But it's another thing when you really get onto it and you start to understand uh, uh, what's really going on, you know, how, how, how life really works. Um, uh, the art of life, as I put it in the... Uh, announcement for this this podcast so these are things to think about and uh work with and the more you study it the more you get onto it the more exquisite it becomes and 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 that's one of the real values of you know i I think for most people it starts it, it starts to make more and more sense to the point where the cognitions aren't just a cool concept it's something profoundly valuable. But you see the language of the Veda even, it's not in our language. It's in the language of nature. And it's a very abstract language. So we can't really be too simplistic about interpreting that either, you know? That's a subtle art. And, and, it, and um, you know, that's why we say humility is the flip side of wisdom. And every concept, every expression, it's like, uh, and, and Vedic literature has deeper and deeper meanings. And like even with this idea about the churning of the ocean, that is one, see, existence is like a, it's like a mosaic. Sometimes I compare it to a piece of pic, picture Jasper. You can even say it was a, like a apple pie. You take different slices through the apple pie and look at the side, you see real different patterns. And, and uh, as valid as this whole thing with the churning of the ocean of being between the uh, Davis and the uh, Assures is, there are other aspects of Veda that say it in a very different ways. It's a whole different story. And uh, what some people would view as myths and the problem with the word myth there is that myth implies, I think, for a lot of people that it's false. But if we can use myths with a capital M and they're true, you see, then 
we, we start to get onto the multiple dimensional nature of the manifestation of existence and of, of all existence. And these, so all these things are just different slices through the, through the pie of the mechanics of the manifestation of existence, you see? And, and, uh, but the language of nature, see, it's all personified. All these, every mechanic in creation has a personified correlate to it. And so when you read Veda literature, it's oft, it's almost always, or not, it's often, we could say, expressed in terms of stories of the personified correlates to these mechanics. And that's great. But also there's just the pure physics mechanics of the whole thing. And to build an enlightened city, um, then it's not just about, you know, the personified correlates to it. It's also about the mechanics and the, con and the construction of the, of the uh, temples and the whole enlightened city, you know, granite courts, so that whole thing. It's all a science, a very sophisticated science that has its flip side, its correlation with the personified aspects, you see? And that's what we're up to. That's what we're doing here. Uh, we were really fortunate. I mean, I've been into this, geez, well, I, I first started out, I was 21 years old, but uh, I, I learned about the, uh, it was about 10 years later that I found out about an enlightened city, but it wasn't until what, Scotty, maybe 15 years ago that I actually finally found uh, the person that actually has the cognitions of the rishis that explain in detail how to go about uh, building an enlightened city. And the Stapati, the Vedic architect in South India, that I think we'll go see Scotty when we uh, go to India, uh, if, if and when we go, uh, uh, his, his knowledge is deep and it's profound. And uh, and uh, so when he designs an enlightened city, he's very meticulous about it. Uh, it's far more sophisticated, really, than how to build a cell phone, for example. Why? Because it's a deeper knowledge. And um, he's the vacant architect that designed the Shiva temple that we have here. And uh, he's the one we're going to work with and who's already provided us with the design. But he will oversee the entire construction of the whole process uh, when it happens. And the influence, again, it's supposed to be enough to transform a nation. Think about that, you know? All right, I guess that's it, Scotty, unless you have anything else? No, that was great. Okay, good. So, uh, by the way, if you want to make comments, if you go to michaelmamas.net, which is where you see the announcement, right underneath the title, you'll see a little thing there that says comments. And if you click on that, you can make a comment, you can make it anonymous, and for some reason, when we switch for doing just straight blogs to doing podcasts, I think because maybe people listen to the podcast somewhere other than at, at, at that blog page, and they, they don't seem to oftentimes take the step of going back there and making a comment. If you make comments, that it's a lively thing. And I, I love to read the comments, and I almost always respond, unless, unless it's a comment that doesn't call for a response, you know. And uh, it becomes a very lively sort of interaction. So you're invited to do that with questions, comments, whatever you want. And I guess that's it for uh, this week. And we will talk with you again uh, next week. Uh, thanks so much for listening.